The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. All right. It's that time again. We're back. Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay. Here in the Brewing Network studios in downtown Concord. Lovely temperature tonight. It's gorgeous. Concord. Yep. Here with Scott. Hey, Scott. Hey, what's up, dude? Bevo has left us to do more fun things. Finally, all is right in the world. Yeah, Bevo's we're back here. to normal. Yeah. Back to normal. Yeah, I can really stretch out the studio a little bit. room in here now. Yep. Uh, we have convinced OEC Brewing to come back for another segment. Thank God. Uh, so I'll keep it brief off the top. I uh, just want to give our our contact stuff, 888-41-BEER. Join us in the chat, emails, scott at thebrewingnetwork.com, jay at thebrewingnetwork.com, watch thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV, listen live, Brewing Network app, search BN Mobile, subscribe and leave feedback on iTunes or wherever, and for a reviewer of the Fortnite, we go to Scott, <laughs> review of the week. <laughs> this Fortnite's review is from Sean R.W., Sean says, easily the worst show on the Brewing Network. The session will go down in history as the biggest piece of crap podcast ever created. The session's mere existence is an atrocity, a violation of human rights so abhorrent, I've considered lighting myself on fire, Tibetan monk style, in protest. The session, what a bunch of jabronis. That's a five-star review for this show from Sean R.W. Wow. Thank you, Sean. I think there's a book about that called Review Podcast Like a Monk. (laughs) Nailed it. It's a deep cut. That's what that was horrible. No, good view, good review though. Yeah. Uh, one uh, one thing I should just say that I, I love the, uh, the the digs we take at the session, but de- you definitely don't like be. I haven't checked, but you know, leave the session alone on their reviews. Obviously, like you know, we still love and support those guys, but absolutely want to annihilate them on our reviews. Oh yeah, right. But you know, give you know they can have their good reviews. Oh, you're saying don't leave a review for the session. Don't leave like bad. a bad review. Right. It's not like that on that level. No, definitely not. It's yeah. just like on our great reviews. Yeah, continue to say exactly. funny things about them because we love the other BN shows like Brew Strong, Doctor Homebrew, Brewing with Style, and the session. And well, yeah, I do like to picture people who um, like are just discovering the Brewing Network, kind of scrolling through reviews for shows, being like, "Oh, what is the Sour Hour about?" and just reading just, <laughs> just one after the <laughs> yeah. next after the next. That has nothing to do with the I, show. I wonder if those come up like at the top or the bottom i don't know i don't, yeah i think the bottom i that's, think you have to scroll well down yeah. that's good that's good that's perfect for us that review this is not officially a sponsored segment but that review reminds me of the wine and hop shop oh. <laughs> you like that yeah nice good segue. not sponsored by you're a pro reminds me of the wine and hop shop wine and it's where to get your sour beer wild yeast and bacteria from omega yeast and giga yeast most items are going to ship within 24 hours, and best of all, BN listeners, including the OEC guys who are listening in right now, in the continental U.S., get the flat $8 shipping rate on orders under 50 pounds. Just enter BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart. The discount's going to be taken off after checkout. Well, the Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. Yes, sir. What else? I mean, we got, we, we got the guys. I'm going to save do. some other stuff I can talk about. 
Crappers Conference a little bit, maybe some some Nashville recap. Maybe I'll just save that to the end. Okay. The show because we got some beer yeah. here. Let's just open up some tempest, yeah. Yeah, we got um, this beer. I'm not sure. So let's bring you guys back in. Welcome back to the show. We've hey. got Tempest in front of us, and I couldn't immediately tell which uh, which series. Uh, and if you guys have listened to the last episode, you know that at OEC they have different series of beers. But what series is Tempest from? You're referring to like the series on. Um like our website. Yeah, know, so we had we had the like Frigus, we had a Experimentalis. Is this does this fall into those categories or This is kind of under those like it's usual suspects. Tempest is actually our oh, gotcha. flagship. Oh great. Uh, this, yeah, it doesn't have any specific category other than this is pretty much a flagship. Cool. So tell us a little bit about how this beer's made and what what is what is this beer? Yeah, how about Ben? This is this is my favorite beer, and this is, this is our flagship. This we, is Tem- we brewed it tonight. It's Tempest. We actually we actually brewed brewed it tonight, even though it doesn't really work like that. It's actually three different beers that end up coming together. We call it a sour blended saison. So historically, if you look at saison brewers, a lot of a lot of saison brewers were brewed. Uh, at breweries that also Lambic at the time, or the basis for Lambic for the Lambic blenders. And so historically, quite often, uh, young Saisons were blended uh, with, with Lambic in, in one period of time, just like anything else. And uh, Tempest is our kind of interpretation of that. So it's a, it's a blend of three different beers that are all aged in oak barrels. The first beer is a Saison that we brew with Grains of Paradise. The second is a... Uh, we call it kind of a bitter saison. It's quite hoppy uh, using European hops, but it actually does primary fermentation in our concrete fermenter. The reason we do the concrete fermenter is to add a little bit of minerality to the beer to kind of match the brewing waters of, of the Belgian saison areas. And then the third piece that goes together is our spontaneously fermented beer, kind of that we brew just a, along the lines of a lambic and uh, that we spontaneously ferment. So it's around anywhere... Any given batch, this is blend seven, is around 20% spontaneously fermented, and it's about 15% of that that saison uh, that's aged it, or that's fermented in the concrete fermenter. And then the rest is barrel-aged saison uh, that's brewed with the grains of paradise. And those barrels any, are anywhere from six months to about 18 months. Okay, got it. So this is, I think this is a great place to kind of dive into your guys' fermentation side your fermentation process a little bit more because it it can get a little confusing from the outside perspective so at least from uh, maybe i don't quite get it you have spontaneous beer and then it looks like something you call semi-spontaneous beer (laughs) and what (laughs) can you walk me through and then this beer it seems like has you know kind of parts of a few different styles of fermentation so where did the different, I guess, how, how do you categorize, categorize your different fermentations, and how, how can you kind of explain the different types of just beers you have in your cellar to people? Well, f- first off, uh, semi-spontaneous is obviously a little bit of a joke. You can't be semi-spontaneous and spontaneous or not. Um, but that refers to beers that go in our cool ship overnight. So, yeah, there is the potential that that liquid could potentially be inoculated by whatever might be in the air, but we still pitch yeast into it. Gotcha. So it's kind of just our little way of having fun with that. 
Kind of and that would be like a say, like a, a something you you cool overnight, but you pitch with a saison yeast or something like that. Yeah, like our Berliner Weisses, our uh, Goza, stuff like that. We all, you know, tongue in cheek, semi spontaneous. Got it. Cool. And then the spontaneous beers are those. How how uh, how traditional are, the, are those? Do you guys, you know, always kind of care about what the outside temperature is? Can you brew? Obviously, you're brewing a bunch of different recipes, so it's not. Uh, you know, 100% true to tradition all the time. Well, how do you view your spontaneous beers in context of kind of what th- the traditional way spontaneous beers were made versus kind of maybe the contemporary way, way they're being explored? Uh, we, we try to be as traditional as possible. I mean, we only brew during the cold months, so, so the low needs to be at least in the 40s when we brew it. Um, the only thing we do is we, we have our cool ship. We open all the windows, and we open the, the window to the barrel room that's downstairs right below it. We never pitch any yeast. It goes straight into barrels. Then we ferment that way. We put the barrels in a couple different areas. We have three different areas to see if the temperature has any effect on it, but we never pitch any type of yeast going into it. But also brew process, too, yeah. is... Well, you can, you can explain. Yeah, the actual process. So for our spontaneous beer, we pretty much actually only make one spontaneous beer. Uh, the base recipe, uh, we kind of we refer to it as spontalis. Um, same recipe every time, but it is a full turbid mash, you know, triple decoction. We actually, for the second and third pull, we actually pull from the thin part of the mash, the top of the mash. We actually stretch it out over two days, uh, and the second day is actually a five-hour boil. We are using aged hops in it, um, and then it rests in the cool ship anywhere from, like, 18 to 24 hours before it's pumped directly into barrels with no yeast ever added to it. So, I mean, anytime you see spontaneous, it's pretty much that one recipe that is being utilized in many, many different blends. Gotcha. And when you guys are kind of doing your your yeast pitching, are you finding that the the short, I mean, the or what you call the the semi spontaneous tongue in cheek, are those beers developing acidity from that kind of short open time, or does it come from how you guys treat the oak barrels, or or can you even attribute it to one or the other? What do you what do you find? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> to be honest. It's probably too difficult to tell where exactly it comes from. We have uh, two different types of house slurries that we use. We kind of do kind of a natural process for keeping our yeasts. So kind of what we talked about earlier on that question on the show, you know, yeast mutation or so. So I have a couple mixed strains that I kind of keep. And over time, um, the wild yeast, there's a, there's a little bit of lactobacillus in them. There's some pediococcus. So, so the amount of hopping that you use on every recipe affects those. But then also every, every few months or so, I have to refresh them with some Saccharomyces because over time, the wild yeast start dominating those. And then it kind of changes the character. But that also means my kind of, our, our, two, live, our two yeast strains are kind of living that we kind of work with. And so we always have to kind of adjust to them. So it's not so exact if we know exactly where it's coming from, whether it's the yeast or what's landing on the cool ship on those semi-spontaneously fermented beers. So you guys do have in, in-house mixed culture, something with yeast and presumably bread and bacteria that you maintain over time in addition to relying on the spontaneous inoculation and the oak barrel. Yeah, yeah. We we have to. There's no question about it. Because if you just rely on spontaneous fermentation, 
you can't you can't always get the same primary characteristics. It's, it's extremely difficult. So like if you taste through like our spontaneously fermented barrels, there's there's quite a bit of variation, which is what makes the beer interesting to us. But we can't rely on that process to do all of our beers. Gotcha. What is the character without kind of adjusting with your in-house mix culture? Like what what are those barrels like? Well, it's changed over the years. We've played a bit with the recipes. So so what we learned early on is the hopping rates are very important. It's very difficult to estimate the hopping rates and IBUs from aged hops. And so over time, ironically, the spontaneous beer the spontaneous beer is actually our most hop beer. So like the hop hop additions that we throw into it are, are fairly large. Uh, we try to exclusively really use uh, cone hops in all our beers. So so I can't always get all the varieties in cone hops, but on average we use about eighty five percent cone hops in all our beers. So for the spontaneous beers, we use around 2013, 2012 uh, cone-style hops. And, you know, we just start throwing in bucket and buckets loads uh, because he, you you have to add a little bit more to contain some of the wild bacteria. Otherwise, they'll go too nuts is kind of what we've learned. Um, so what you taste from three years ago is very different to what you taste from about one year ago. But in, in terms of the barrels now and how they're tasting, you get some. That take off and will be a little bit more lactic forward. You get some that take off and be actually quite quite brett forward. You know, you know the typical kind of barnyard you're talking about. But in general, what's happened now due to additional hop additions is it's kind of slowing down the process. To and I, I think the barrels now are a lot nicer than they were three years ago. Yeah, it's really interesting. You mentioned a minute or two ago about you know you wanted to mix the barrels around a little bit to kind of mitigate any effects that you may see from temperature differences either around the room. Have you seen any temperature effects from around the room? Yeah, so we well we have uh, we have three different areas at the moment. So we've one that's like underground and is kind of constant at like 58 degrees. We have one that's in a bigger building outside but we don't really heat it, so it fluctuates more in the winter. So in the winter time it'll drop into probably the 30s. But in the summertime, it'll go in the 70s, and then we kind of we have another area which is more like kind of room temperature. So it goes probably in the winter as low as 58, in the summer maybe as high as 67. And if you compare all of those, they're actually very different. Also, the speed that they as they progress is very different. It's quite, it's quite interesting. So if we do a lambic batch in the fall, or like a spontaneous beer batch in the fall. Sorry, <laughs> lambic style batch in the fall, right? And we put it in in the area where it gets really cold in the winter in the 30s. You'll actually taste it, and when it comes out almost in the spring, it's way behind if the batch was in one of the warmer areas. So you characterize it as mostly like an overall maturity. Are there like specific flavors or aromas or something off about it, or is it just kind of a general, this one no, just I seems would, more developed? I, I would call it... More, I would think it's more related to pace of development. Okay, that's interesting. So I want to get a little bit, We with the time we have in our first segment here, I want to get into the vessels you guys use. You kind of reference your your concrete fermenter and the minerality. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Is there an extraction rate from the minerality there? And then maybe just touch on what you guys what are the other kind of interesting vessels you guys use and and why you use those so we mostly get interesting vessels to just kind of try them out and see the, the effects they have uh the, the concrete for manner 
it does it definitely has an effect on the primary fermentation the simplest reason is because of the the thermal mass that the concrete has right so like if, if you if you just put the batch of beer into uh let's say stainless steel fermenter right and fermentation starts let's say you don't cool that fermenter the stainless the stainless steel doesn't have much thermal mass, so as, as the yeast starts activating and getting warmer, it will raise the temperature of the liquid pretty quickly. But the, the concrete fermenter, it doesn't rise up in temperature very fast, so it actually just works as a kind of a natural coolant. So that's one aspect. The shape, it's rectangular, so it's a very different pace of primary fermentation than if you have a conical vessel. And then, of course, since it's acidic, right, it extracts a little bit out of the concrete. The, the concrete is... Uh, is sealed, but you still see areas where, like the croissant and then everything is on top, where a little bit of minerality comes out of that concrete. So we'll add some. Yeah, and you can also taste it. Hmm. There's some other types of interesting things you get. You use granite, and then something I've never heard of that looked like maybe ceramic or something like that. Terracotta. Amphora. Yeah, yeah, those are amphora. And what? Why? 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 <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> we ask ourselves that sometimes too. Silly question. <laughs> it, uh, terracotta actually is interesting because it, it's quite porous, right? So it allows for a little, a little bit of oxidation, and uh, it also adds quite a bit of minerality. So the first beer we released from it was we call it like an imperial wheat stout. It's a, kind of an imperial stout that we don't do with as much roasted malt, but uh, we do it with uh, debittered uh, special malt from Germany instead and much more of a wheat character. And it, it, it kind of brings in a, a bit, bit of fruitiness, which, which is quite, quite interesting. We don't do this, but historically, amphora should actually be buried in the ground because they're, they're quite porous and they need to remain moist for more liquid not to evaporate. So since we keep them out, we get a little bit more evaporation. And that, of course, makes the beer age a little bit faster. Uh, the granite is interesting because it actually... It, you would think it adds a bit of minerality, but it actually adds quite a bit of fruitiness. Hmm. And we're not quite sure why, but that's kind of the experience we've learned from it. Hmm. That's really cool stuff. I want to get into some more of the beers. I want to talk about the lab stuff a little bit more with you guys. But before that, I want to take our first segment break. Can you guys hang on for one more segment? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get to a quick question before we take our break. Questions on this show and all shows are brought to you by our great sponsor, SourBeerBlog.com, the longest-running sponsor on the Sour Hour. Now they're opening their own Sour Brewery, Sour and Farmhouse-focused brewery in central Pennsylvania. Help them get started. Join the Founders Club, which includes eight exclusive bottles of club-only aged and blended sour beer, early access to all of their public bottle releases, a hooded sweatshirt, pair of tasting glasses, club growler, and Scott's favorite, the metal challenge coin. I don't know where I'm going to fit it in my already massive collection. I'll of, find a space. Of all the, the, yeah. the rest of the challenge coins. That's right. Is it like fight? Like if you give it to someone, then you fight? You fight them? Like I don't challenge. Think I'm allowed to say and it on then, the air. Yeah, it's I probably shouldn't even talk about it. Exclusive club, dude. You're not allowed to talk about that. That's right. Not to mention, it says right here, not to mention. Uh, discounts and much more. <laughs> That's the opposite of advertising. <laughs> to learn more and join the Founders Club, check out, and I recommend you do, check out Mellow Mink Brewing at mellowmink.com. The beers we've gotten are great. I know you know, a lot of you guys have listened to Dr. Lambic's guest spots on the show. You know, you've read his articles. They're extensive. He knows his stuff. The beers we've gotten have been 
terrific. Excellent. I'm really excited to see what happens with this brewery. Mellowmink.com. Yes, sir. This question is from Rob Newhouse, who says, Jay always says that his three base sour beer recipes all blend well together. What kind of sour beer base recipes might not work well together? Uh, ones that don't taste good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving along. I, um, I mean, I, I don't know if they all, I guess they blend pretty well together. They They're, they're built off of each other, so... They start with their base malt, and then they all have uh, wheat, oat, spelts, and uh, we've gone from Vienna aromat- special aromatics and different character malts to get the red. We build in a little bit of crystal malt and a little bit of color malt, and then to go to the dark, we just add a little bit of chocolate malt to that recipe and then a little bit of color malt. And while going from gold to red to dark, we just bump up the base malt a little bit each way. So it's it's very simple. So I guess in that way they work well together. It's you have all the same grains on hand. It's kind of, it's really like a their recipes designed by someone who's worked on a professional brewery before and I don't mean that like in a weird way. It's just like when you've milled enough bags that hold 50 pounds of grain where you only need 16.5 pounds of grain out of that bag, right. you're you're pretty into just doing half bags and full bags of stuff, very scaled percentages, and just very straightforward recipes. And it's just my personal philosophy that I don't think the recipes have to be too complex to make a nice wort. Um, I think a lot of the flavor of great sour beer comes in the fermentation. So yeah, weird stuff, I would keep out, you know, just experimental malts. That doesn't mean you can't try them. I would just do less of them because... The more manipulations you make on the hot side, and this is a philosophy that we started with at the Rare Barrel, simplicity on the hot side, complexity on the cold side in smaller amounts is what gives you the ability to have variation in your cellar to blend with and to experiment more to see what works and what doesn't work. But if you're making a 1,000 gallons of beer, whatever decision you make applies to that whole 1,000 gallons you want to make just a solid 1,000 gallons and then make 100 like this in this oak barrel right. in these two oak barrels and then 100 like this and 100 like that, 100 like that. So you kind of segment it up into smaller pieces. But now that we've gotten comfortable doing these over time, we're more comfortable making larger manipulations on the hot side. But I don't know. What, what, what have been your guys' experience at OEC? Have you found hot side things or recipes that, you know, kind of maybe they stand on their own as, as great beers but don't? play well with the other beers or you can't blend them together i mean whenever we try and come up with blends we do a lot of bad blends <laughs> you know i mean you know you usually throw out ideas and you start on it and you know there's a lot of trial and error involved but on the hot side we we play around a lot we, we brew a lot of experimental batches and if it doesn't work it doesn't work and i'm i'm okay with that I feel like you, you have to try a little bit. The reality is when you're trying to do this stuff, I mean, you know, there's a lot of trial and error involved. You you can think high, theoretically on what's going to work. But in the end, I think you have to try things and bl- play around. I mean, I, I, I agree with what Jay said a little bit. You know, quite often you have recipes where, where you just kind of brew them. They're kind of simpler and you let fermentation take the way of things. But then we do some batches where we try and do it the other way around, and sometimes they fall flat on their face, and other times they work out. I, th- I think that's one of the fun parts of having OEC is that 
we're not so concerned about just brewing one recipe and consistently brewing it. We get to experiment a lot, and sometimes failing is fun. Can you give us a specific example of one of those failures or the times that just didn't work in the experiments? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I really like to play around a lot with uh, blending different categories of, of beer and uh, or different products. So so I played around with blend, uh, blending uh, sour beer and cider, and I had some success with that, and we did uh, a beer called Solaris, which I, I thought was really exciting. Uh, I've also blended sour beer and sake, which actually turned out real well. But then we tried to do another sour beer with uh, cider blend, and we put it in the tank, and the yeast reactivated. It became extremely reductive, and you started to all get some autolysis. And all of a sudden, you got this—you know, when we blended it, we loved the aroma, we loved the flavor— and then it just started going nuts, and all of a sudden it became super barnyardy, and like you smelled it and you tasted it, and you're like, man, it smells—it's like fresh goats, you know? It's not enjoyable. So it really did not work out. What kind of what kind of goat is a fresh goat? I, I don't think it was so fresh. It was maybe like 13 day old unshowered goat. You know? Well, like I didn't tell you I dry goated that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we could have said we dry goated it, but no, it just did not work out. You it, was know? Really, it was really sassy goat. It was very fresh. <laughs> this, so is my, this is exactly what I tell people when they're like, hey, dude, try the appetizer that's smothered in goat cheese. And I'm like, nah, man, it tastes like goat. I'm not into it. <laughs> Amen to that, brother. <laughs> Look, if I say it's goat, I love goat cheese. So if I say it's very much like goat, you know that's over the top. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I love goat cheese, but that's that's for another <laughs> day. It's for our cheese po- our cheese podcast. I'm, whoever agreed with me over there, good on you, dude. Everyone everyone is like, what's wrong with you? It's so good. It is no. Cool. No. no. All right. Yeah, you all are wrong. It's cool. Well, I'm hungry and <laughs> yeah. I miss my goat. So we'll take a quick break. <laughs> we'll be right back on the sour hour. Beer tasting games that train your palate, a brewery locator, and the brand new interactive beer style guide. These are just a few of the awesome things you'll find on craftbeer.com. The style guide is a beautiful example of technology and beer. Browse beer style families or turn on the automatic beer style finder and explore beer through color, bitterness, ABV, aroma, and flavor. It's really the coolest way to explore every beer style besides having them all in front of you. Go to craft craftbeer.com and click on beer styles to start the guide plus enjoy the rest of craftbeer.com the brewers banter blogs beer education how to host a beer tasting and the invaluable draft quality manual tons of great content that makes your beer better visit the new craftbeer.com right now and explore the website that brings you all the passion camaraderie and creativity of the craft beer community craftbeer.com celebrating the best of american beer Lauren from New Belgium Brewing Company, and you are listening and learning from the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. All right. We're back. So you just heard it's the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Yes, you did. One of the best parts about uh, building another bar out in Fort Collins is getting to hang with Lauren more. Yeah, that's awesome. Fort Collins is quite a city. It's really awesome. It's really nice. The more it's time, just nice. The more time it's I spend nice there, place to be. the nicer I realize it is. I, I'm just happy. I'm happy there. And I'm happy you're there, too. Me, too, man. Yeah, I can't, can't wait, wait to come you. visit. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be great. Sooner than later. 
Also happy about the iDip, Scott. Oh, yeah. Really Me happy too. about it. It's a Homer commercial use water testing kit, <laughs> which incorporates a revolutionary photometer. 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 <laughs> well, that's the first and only of its kind on the market. With its photometer. own photometer. 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 The iDip can perform over 40 water quality tests and is the... Wait, I already read the part. For the things like chloride, calcium hardness, pH, sulfate, and much more. Podcast listeners should enter code TBN10 at checkout and save $10 on either the standard or advanced smart brew testing kit. Order now and make this futuristic technology part of your brewing process. Visit www.smartbrewkit.com. Once more, www dot smartbrewkit.com Scott I gotta tell you yeah this thing's quite amazing yeah, it's fantastic I, I'm surprised you didn't do the uh, HTTP colon forward slash forward I should just inside. one more time for reference www dot smartbrewkit.com <laughs> alright alright we'll work on it <laughs> <laughs> lots of practice off the air coming up one more our friends from Homebrew Association. Oh yeah, they want us to remind you if you haven't registered for the for Homebrew Con yet, yeah, do yourself a favor, do it. Head over to homebrewcon.org and click the register button. You'll be so glad you did. Homebrew Con is where the awesome community of brewers gather for three days of learning, camaraderie, which is how I pronounce it, <laughs> and that's how it's spelled. That's how you should pronounce. It. Hey, get the robot again. Camaraderie. Okay, get the robot. And grape beer. It's an it's an experience unlike any other. Visit homebrewcon.org and get registered. Comradery. Oh, what? get out of here, robot. No, no, hold on a second. Comradery. I accidentally went to the Russian website. Oh, yeah. Com- Comradery. Oh, thank you. Oh, wow, really? Comradery. There is another syllable in Camaraderie. there. Comradery. How come nobody says that? No one says Everyone says it like Russians. Comrade. Comrade. Yeah. Yeah. That's how people say it, but it's comradery. OEC guys, do you guys know how many, how do you say it? Photo meter. I'm not actually going to tell you until you put the prodigy back on. Um, just play the fat of the land through through the rest of the interview. Yeah, <laughs> one, right? We need more prodigy. By the way, just real quick, the uh, I think I was supposed to read this top part, maybe. <laughs> I think so. Uh, the tickets are on sale. Too. 39th annual National Homebrewers Conference, a- aka Homebrew Con. Join your comrades. You, what is uh, has the have the Russians infiltrated homebrewassociation.org? They have hacked homebrewassociation.ussr. There might be some Russians. This is like a Red Dawn situation. June 15th in Minneapolis, the city of lakes and the land of 10,000 lakes. For three unforgettable days of learning, camaraderie and delicious delicious beer. Delicious. That's how I pronounce that word. Stalin. <laughs> Stalin. 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 Gorbachev. Gorbachev. Space is limited, so be sure to register now at... What are you pointing at? Homer Bue. Homer dot org. All right, let's just... That's Bevo. It's homebrewcon.org. Listen, if you haven't been to the homebrew, the National Homebrewers Conference, do yourself a favor, man. NHC is the the place to be if you're a Is this a rebranding? Because it's always NHC. Now, is yeah. it HomebrewCon? Homebrew, I'm not sure. Like Comic-Con. Maybe. But it's like HomebrewCon. Get yourself to HomebrewCon. If you've been, you know how great it is. Go again. And if you've never been, do yourself a favor. If I'm sorry if this sets us back a year. We're talking about NHC. It's uh, it's awesome. It's HomebrewCon yeah. now, probably. It's in Minneapolis. 
Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's talk about beer. Let's open. Uh, we, we've got a beer to open, and I believe maybe a related question. We're going to open the uh, Odeless Ceresis. Why don't you guys tell me how to screw it? Rabble, rabble, rabble. Say it, say it for me. Well, no, no, uh, we should do the salsas first. Uh, the other one, the salsas or either. Okay. Oh, we, all right. That's fine. That's, that's cool. We're yeah. just producing a show over here. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't tell you guys how to brew beer. <laughs> well, okay. We won't forget that question. We yeah. have a question related to the other one, I think. But this yeah. is the uh, sake it is, yeah. Beer I'm gonna show, hybrid, right? I'm gonna, it is. I'm going to show the camera because it's unlike it's really crazy. any beer that we ever get in this studio and, and that you ever even see on the shelf. It looks it's like a, orange wine or it something. It is. It's a clear bottle, and it is orange in color. Is it skunked? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what we strive for. <laughs> so tell us about, uh, I'll ask the same question I asked before. Why? <laughs> did you, did you taste it? <laughs> no, we're opening it right now. But uh, tell us a little bit about the process uh, behind this one. Why? <laughs> Why? Actually, we we had a little bit of uh, I, we had a little bit of uh, sake left over, and I started playing around with it, and I kind of had a theory, and I, I thought, well, if you blend sour beer and sake, that the sour beer would totally overwhelm the sake, but. Interestingly enough, I thought they actually kind of ended up working well together, and so we started playing with blends, and we, we did two different versions. One we did with our wit beer that was uh, with chamomile, ginger, and lemon balm, and the sake, and the other one with, with this, which is actually salsas, which is our goza, which we actually age in red wine barrels, and so you get the reddish tint from the red wine barrels. Wow. It was in barrels for about 18 months, the, the uh, goza, and so we blend it with sake, and it it's uh, unpasteurized namasaki, so uh, all the all the bacteria and microflora is alive in there as well. It's about forty eight percent sake, fifty two percent beer. Ironically, by the TTV, it gets classified as beer because you know sake is in the character and it does have grain and hops. That is a way bigger uh-huh. percentage than I would have thought. I would have thought it'd been like a ten percent kind of a novelty. That half and half. Wow. Look, it's roughly half and half. Yes. Moscow, you're gonna love it. <laughs> Damn right. Just took my first sip. It's um, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I don't, hmm, I don't know if I would have known that that there was sake in it if I didn't know. Well, what do you think? Do you get sake out of that, Jay? I haven't had a lot of sake to to know. I mean, certainly there's an in- interesting character to it, but not not having so many of your guys' beers and just knowing the interesting ways you guys make beers. I'm not sure I would have, like, there's, I, I actually know. There's no way I would have been able to pinpoint that in, like, a blind tasting, no, which very, is incredible that it's yeah. that close of a 50-50 blend. Totally. It's very champagne-like. It, it has a, I'm trying to, I'm, like, trying to put my finger on what I would call this if I didn't know what it was. I would call it champagne. Yeah, I mean, actually, uh, like, if you're going to compare it to, like, a wine, are you guys familiar with, like, a petite nat at all? You ever have anything like that? I have not. Me neither. That's, it's a natural way of getting a like a carbonated wine essentially where towards the end of fermentation you just bottle and let it finish its fermentation in the packaging uh, but it's it yields a very similar type of co2 to this um and obviously like the, a rosé petite nat actually looks almost exactly like this uh, and you get a lot of that kind of like high acid but that big bubble super lively um you should totally check out some petite nats that's like it would probably strike me similar to this. Noted. Yeah. Write that down. Check that out. 
So I wanted to talk to. We have got a little bit limited amount of time left. I want to get. To, we have an, another beer to open and some other topics to get to. What I wanted to transition to next is I wanted to talk to. I want to ask Dave a question about bees, and oh. it's one of my favorite Jesus. questions to ask, and it's why. <laughs> why? <not>? Why? <laughs> why? What are you guys doing with bees, and why? It's a huge experiment. So this is this is year number three for the bees. The first year, you know, they don't produce a lot. The second year, you're supposed to get honey, except a big black bear came and took out all the hives. Wow. <laughs> so now we start over, and it's year three. And, um, you know, this third year's a charm. So this year, we're going to definitely get honey. We want to use it for uh, possibly... Uh, bottle conditioning or um, just seeing what it does in the fermentation just to add a little bit and uh, you know and, and down the line also we do a couple of lines of like what we call Hydromolita which are beers that are blended with meads so if we get enough honey it'd be nice to make a mead to do something like that on a small scale I mean look if you have a good year each hive can produce up to about 50 pounds of honey so if we can get 150 to 200 pounds of honey, you know, that's a couple of barrels of mead that we could then blend into one of our Hydromolita projects. Initially, the goal when we did the beehives was actually not even for honey. We actually tried we actually try to use them to cross-pollinate all our fruits on the property. Hmm. So, like, if we do get honey, it's actually, like, kind of a bonus on the side. Did it work for that purpose? I, I, we think so. I mean, we're, we've been getting fruits. Cross-pollination-wise, yeah, they've been working great. Yeah, I was curious about that because, uh, you know, you mentioned bottle conditioning, different uh, fermentation ways to add that. But I, I was curious what or, – or just the fact that you guys are trying to find so many fermentables or infusions that you can grow or produce yourselves. I was wondering, you know, what spurred on – the, the interest in bees, but that, that is interesting about the, the cross-pollination. Is that something you, you know, bears notwithstanding, is that something you'd recommend for someone who's trying to go the agricultural route? Well, I'd recommend, first of all, uh, an electric fence and, and then the bees. <laughs> Maybe a moat around the electric fence. Moats, just moats. Just a moat, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's cool. I mean, look, bees are their whole, it's a whole other world. It's, um, it's 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 an amazing like ecosystem within that hive. You know, it's it's something else to learn about and expand knowledge. And uh, you know, if you think you know all about sour beer, then you're crazy. There's so much more out there that you can delve into and play with. So, with all this investment in on the you know on premise growing and you know just development of your ingredients it sounds you know with you know the moats your electric fences all of these things right <laughs> uh but no but really like the greenhouse i'm sure there's you know there's plumbing there there's heating oh it's still a ditch <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i assume there's some water in there but some alligators i guess that the water will freeze at some point though so that kind of defeats the purpose you gotta electrify the moat that's where it's at uh, but uh, you know, is there, there seems like some some significant costs 
involved in this? Is that center about right, or have you guys found ways to kind of do it on the the cheap and we steal everything? <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely the way to go. It's where all our copper wire went from the build in Fort Collins. I bought a house that had a barn and it had some old shovels in it, so I saved some money on that. <laughs> Follow up question: Did you steal this from the bear, and was that revenge? No, actually, the bear stole one back from me, so I have to go get it back. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it does seem like a lot of work. So is it, you know, do you, do you guys still find it's, it's worth it, it's rewarding, even though you still have to make this very challenging beer alongside it? Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. when you end up with an amazing, I mean, taste the salsa that you're drinking. I mean, it, when you uh, have the ability to create and be creative, which is kind of a stupid sentence, but like, and you end up with a product like that, it's totally worth it because it's something new and amazing. I, I mean, if we were selling the, like, the things you're tasting right now in $11, like $11 six-packs into distribution, then I don't think I, we could do it. But doing it like this, well, we can do it, and we, we, we can do some very interesting projects on the side, sometimes just for fun if they don't work out. Yeah, and I was curious about the kind of interesting projects and. Maybe this is the time to, to kind of segue in this next beer we have. What's the, the name of this one again, Scott? Maybe this is where, where I can toss it to you. I don't want to butcher it, guys. It's the Lambic. Tell me how it's pronounced. Lambic style. It's a blend of Lambic and American Wild Ale. This is Uruis Karasis uh, or Uruis Sarasis, however you want to pronounce it. Okay, Sarasis. Well, and I said Lambic. Oh, Jay. Lambic. Oh, yeah, I forgot. This is Lambic. Because it, says, it does not say Lambic style on the label. It, it's there Lambic. Lambic in it, but there is... Lambic, you know, could only be made in Belgium. But so there is Lambic in here from Hansen's. Mm, yep. And there is the beer that we brew in there as well, which is not Lambic. So with your yeah. your guys' cherries? Yeah, okay. So this beer itself, this is part of our project, uh, Artista Zinergia. This is the way we go about kind of what you call collaborations, I guess. But instead of doing a kind of typical collaboration where, say, like, Jay, if you came over here and brewed a beer with us, or we came to you and brewed a beer with you. Instead, what we do is we produce a product and have another brewery, typically one of our partners from our Be United portfolio, will produce a beer at their facility overseas, maybe in Europe, uh, Japan, wherever, um, and then send us their, uh, their portion of the product, and we will blend it with our product or further barrel age it, blend whatever we need to do from there. This way we're getting multiple fermentations that will combine and create the most complex set of flavors and aromas that you could not possibly achieve by one single fermentation. It's a really cool concept. So cool. Not something you kind of see a lot of. It reminds me sort of of the, like, uh, the transatlantic creek yeah from uh new belgium that they've done a few times um i think lauren was just doing that uh last week yeah, yeah. and did we have a question actually shockingly related to this beer like <laughs> we do uh this is a question from mark graves who says uh you guys OEC, have some incredible concoctions some of them just blow my mind he says based on how good they are uh, and the unique and sometimes complex ingredients and blends involved so with such a large portfolio f- from be united and ingredients grown on site which is both of these things are in this beer uh, and your own extremely varied stock what is your approach to blending it's, it's a f- fairly general question but he, he says that it seems you know almost like you have the mind of a mixologist with some beer so where do you get your inspiration from he wants to know so just kind of general blending approach that's a loaded question yeah <laughs> uh, 
I mean, I do I do a lot of the blending, and uh, I think every blender has their own approach to how they blend. So Clark also does some of the concepting and some of the blending blending these days, and and I think the way we approach different blends is actually very different. So I, I think it quite comes down to the person. I think it's an extremely difficult question to answer. It is. I mean, a lot of it is like the way your mind works. Organizational-wise, it's very it's very specific to the person, like that said. I mean, I, I, I borrow things here and there from Ben, but I, you know, no two people are going to blend the same way. Like, like for example, I'll, I'll kind of talk about it the way I blend. When, when I blend, I tend to focus on extreme outlier barrels and work my way backwards into a blend. Uh, some people like to, per, you know, prefer like a core set of barrels that are more in, in like a rounded character and nicer. But I, I prefer to start with the extreme and work my ba way backward into a balanced product. But that's just me. I know I know Clark when he does it works very differently. And then you know some things are just like totally out of thin air. Like for example, I just threw together the sake and the uh, sour beer, which I then thought was interesting. And I don't, you know, I don't know my rationale for doing that other than, hey, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, th I think it also depends, like, what beer you're doing. Like, Tempest, you blend very differently than, say, you would. We're talking about Malafakis or Wheat Stout. So it depends on the person, depends on the beer. And on a practical scale, how do you, how do you guys actually blend? What does it look like? Is it, you know, you four <laughs> at the tasting room table? Is it more people? You know, is there yeah. <laughs> how many samples are you tasting at a time? Maybe, maybe paint us a picture there. Uh, we're doing this all day. We should know. <laughs> uh, we probably uh, do blends. I would say probably about two to three times a week. We don't really schedule it. We and we kind of do it off the cuff. I don't like to be too structured because, and I, and I talked about this with Clark. One of the things I don't like to do is say say, hey, we need the next batch of Tempest and just try it and sometimes hammer it out. The reality is sometimes the blends just come to you and sometimes you need to taste things, think about it, and then let it sit and then come back to it in a week or two. So we're not that structured about it. But when we do, we, you know, we obviously pull samples from each of the barrels. We kind of combine them. And then we, we do different things and we taste them. We try and find features that we want to focus on for various blends, and then we go from there. Gotcha. And I was reading a little bit about this, uh, let me see, Singularis series. And it, that sounds like it's single oak barrels that you guys find are special. How, has, how have the results from that been, and have you learned anything from kind of the, the most special barrels that you found? And how, how have those kind of outliers in a good way changed your results over time? I, I think uh, the Singularis project or that side is interesting, and I think it, it can create some really nice results. Like the next one we have coming from that is uh, we do Phantasma, which is we consider a sour porter, and we, we actually do the blend, and then we double-age it, and we double-age it in a single barrel. And that's coming out for the anniversary on June 7th, on June 10th. But... Uh, my one concern with single barrels is kind of like winning the lottery, right? There's not a lot of talent involved. So, like, you throw the thing in a single barrel. You throw it all in barrels, and, you know, 
One is just the magic winner. So sometimes I don't think it's as mentally rewarding as putting together a good blend. Sure, sometimes they're excellent and amazing, but I think it's more it's it's a bit more luck. And sure, you should embrace that luck because if it punches you in the face, you should take it. But sometimes I'm more proud of the blends we put together simply because of the amount of work, thought, and creativity that's involved and what the end result becomes from those barrels and how different it is from those barrels is what makes the product amazing. It makes I've never quite heard anybody put it that way, that it the sort of more you blend, the less you remove the luck factor because the more you sort of you build what you want your product to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's kind of like you're, you know, diversifying your portfolio almost sure. to, to change the metaphor a little bit. But I think that's that's really interesting. Um, I, I am curious about how you guys have innovated over time and found you know successes in certain areas. And maybe if the Singularis is is the lottery ticket, maybe we could just go to each of you and you could think of an example of something that has changed over time, either in your, your process or an ingredient or the way you've blended, just just anything from your time at the brewery that you found like, oh, you know what? Once we started to do this, I really think that made our beers better. Something that, you know, the the listeners can take away from from your guys' experience, all these interesting techniques that you use. What is something that, you know, really you think changed uh, your process in, in a good way? Wow. No pressure. Um, I'll go first. I'll say uh, with the Experimentalis line, I think when we first started doing Experimentalis, um, kind of when I first got here and before I got here, a lot of it was just single fruits, um, kind of like single barrels, single fruits. And we started doing, I think what we had before peaches and kumquats was one of the first ones we did that was multiple fruits. And that's been something we've really been playing around with. It's actually the second one we did. The first one was limes and kumquats. But um, I think using multiple fruits and experimentalist blends have been very nice, very rewarding. It's kind of opened a lot more doors for us. Yep. Well, I'd say using the iDip is really... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Do I you put your hand up on your hip? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that just uh, being open to... It's just in re-fermentation? Bottle conditioning, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm trying to figure out bottle conditioning? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a challenge. Sour bottle conditioning. How do, how do you guys, maybe just a brief uh, brief overview, how do, you get, how do you guys bottle condition? On a way to prayer. <laughs> any, any way it works. Uh, you know, we, we've, uh, we've done a lot of experimentation, and we've done uh, figured out a few things that really work to really streamline bottling and bottle conditioning and uh, making them happen. I mean, we still have a lot of products that are sitting in the warm room that are kind of stuck, and we haven't quite figured out the older uh, liquids yet, but we're getting there. But, you know, on a day-to-day basis, I think we've got the bottle conditioning and keg conditioning nailed. And uh, we're, we're, it's, it's definitely it's taken a while, but we've, we're have we getting there, man. It's good. It's, it's a repeatable product, repeatable, repeatable uh, carbonation on things now. So what, what's been like a concrete thing that's, that's been an improvement there? You, you said it's more repeatable, but, but why? Why do you think that is? I think you. I think you just can't look at all of the current 
literature out there and say keep oxygen away from everything because I think that that is a huge um, you know it helps in re-fermentation you know it's just a little bit to kind of get that yeast back up and going and healthy and get those beers carbonated. I think what Dave's trying to say is sometimes you know, you buy all this modern equipment, and it's great, but it's really made for, for finished beer and not bottle or keg conditioning. So you, you really have to think about everything it does and why it does it, and if that's actually beneficial. So that's kind of what we're running tests on. Kind of learn some interesting things that we're testing and kind of working through. Yeah, and, and, you know, as an engineer in training, you know, you, you read these things, and you're like, oh, this is the gospel in the Bible, but, you know, like I said before, if you think you know everything about sour beer and bottle conditioning and natural fermentation, then you're crazy because there's more to learn. So it's keep an open mind and uh, keep on learning. Absolutely. I think that's a good attitude. And I, I agree. It's like this is the time where the Bible is being written right now. And I look forward to hearing more about what, what you guys find there. That's, that's really interesting. Definitely. Anything else you guys have found that you th- feel like have really changed things for the better? Burying beers in the ground. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I think what always keeps me interested is it's just the fact that we do we try all kinds of different things. You know, like this past this past winter, we we tried blending uh, sake and sour beer, and I thought the results were quite exciting. When when I first blended the the two different items out of you know, just just for taste testing and sampling. Ironically, I felt like when you combine them, the acidity when they combined was more like the acidity you found in a wine, not so much in a sour beer. And you know, the two kind of met and created something new and interesting. I, I think one of the things that keeps me going every day is the you know the fact that we try all these different things and and doing all these different crossings. Sure, some of them fail, but like for. For every, you know, five failures or so, you get one winner, and they're extremely rewarding. Yeah, I think the experimentation is important. It definitely comes across with you guys. All right, well, I I won't make all of you answer this. Whoever wants to answer can answer if if you've got an answer for this one. But what do you think? The biggest mistake in sour beer making is, and you're not allowed to say no. You thinking you know everything about sour beer again? Got to come up with something else. Uh, Yeah, it's got to be no. I'm going to say it. Kettle sours. Ooh. Ooh. Controversial. Ooh. Sorry, guys. New just, England sours. Just leaving it there. Why? 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 Super easy. Super juicy. Is it just because most people are screwing it up? What the kettle sour? Yeah. What, why? Why that? Yeah. For for me personally, um, I I feel like a lot of kettle sours display a a ton of just butyric acid and just vomit like characters that people don't seem to be interested in cleaning up. I understand that there is a desire for this sharp kind of lacto character that that is like rewarding up front but doesn't follow through the rest of the product. And maybe just my sensitivity to like butyric acid. But um, if you have nothing to kind of clean up that aspect of the beer, and by clean up I mean make the beer dirtier in other ways, I find that to not be so rewarding in sour beer. Uh, just to touch on the kettle souring, I think I think one of the reasons I don't like it is that it destroys. I don't think so much about it as sour beer as I do think of it as natural beer. You know, uh, you know, you're using a bunch of symbiotic organisms to ferment and naturally preserve something. Like 
I think one of the most amazing things about sour beer, right, is you don't use any of these modern additives. You don't really do anything to it, and it preserves it for for years on end without doing anything artificial to it. Then if you if you kettle sour, you kind of go back to it, and you kind of you know you kind of going back to doing it in like a lab almost, where you where you then artificially sour. What's so much of a difference from, from kettle souring to just dumping a bunch of lactic acid into the tank? adding some acidity and then fermenting with yeast. I, I think the point of making these sour complex beers is to produce a really beautiful natural product that preserves itself, not to just figure out how to make them in huge quantities in a chem lab. All right. I'll leave that. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, you want to delay the release of your kettle sour now? Yeah, that's that's awkward timing because we're about to... No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean that's certainly a perspective that's that's shared by uh, by a lot of people. I was down in Brazil and they were teasing me that and they make uh, they were making a lot of kettle sours down there and they're all very good. And they were all teasing me. It's like, oh no, don't give it to him. He hates kettle sours. And I think <laughs> I've just mentioned it on the show so many times that I don't know what I said in the beginning, but maybe got that reputation. And I don't have anything against them, but certainly it's just a different beer, you know. And as long as they're you know, labeled as such, you know, I, I kind of presented it down at that conference as, you know, there's two, there's kind of a dividing line. There's kind of the slow sour beers and then there's the fast sour beers or quick sour beers. And as long as you're upfront about what kind of sour beer you're presenting to the consumer and you care about quality, then I think that's fine. But we're, we're a long way from, from getting to that point. So I think it's, it's fine to bring it up and, and talk about it as a community and continue to discuss this in an open forum like this. So I well, appreciate your guys' take on that. Yeah, and and certainly in the three years we've been doing this show, the bar has been raised quite a bit on kettle sours in general, right? Like the batting uh, yeah. average of the beer industry is a lot higher than it used to be. So maybe your opinion in previous years was sort of based on... It's also become that. a lot more popular, though. So there's... Yeah, that's true. The great ones are even better, and the worst ones are... There's a lot more bad ones, too. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not saying... The whole movement is good or bad or painting it with uh, like kind of a, a broad brush. It's just it's all happening at once mm-hmm. kind of thing. So but I, I think, yeah, that that's all that's all fine to bring up, in, in my opinion. And, that you know, if you want to say by volume, what is the biggest mistake in sour beer making? <laughs> maybe you know, there, there's a case to be made there for sure. So we appreciate that that take for sure. One thing I just want to wrap up with is how can people get these beers? You know, we're lucky enough that you guys send them out. No breakages. I'm sure some are at Scott's house, but uh, <laughs> you know, we've got some of them here. How how can other people be lucky enough to try the OEC brewing beers? So the only way you get our beer uh, packaged in bottles is to actually come to our tasting room and purchase our bottles. We have no distribution of our bottles and no plans to distribute our bottles. However, we do have a pretty cool option right now um, on our website, which is oecbrewing.com. If you uh, go on there and go over to bottle sale, uh, go to the store, there's a bottle sale section. You can actually reserve, you, you pay for your bottles online and we'll hold them for you for the entire calendar year. So if you're planning a trip out this way at any point, you know, before December 30th, we will hold your beers for you. Um, now, our hours here are a little rough. We're only open on Saturdays from 12 to 7. However, uh, you could schedule time with us to come during the week. We're typically here um, Monday through Friday, 10 to 5-ish, uh, for bottle sales and for pickups on bottles, too. Um, 
our kegs do make it around the country. Um, so, you know, just look around at your preferred beer bar and they might show up here or there. But bottles are in our tasting room only. That's awesome. That's a pretty great option right there. And you guys are, I heard, I heard the reference to the anniversary. That's one month from today. Is that your third uh, third anniversary? Third anniversary. Wow, that's incredible. I, your name is out everywhere, and you guys are doing great stuff. The beer has been awesome, and you guys should just be really proud of the work you're doing and just the, the brand you built because a lot of people are really excited about what you're doing. And in only three years, that's pretty incredible stuff. Totally. Echo so, that. Superb beers, guys. Thanks for sending Thank them you out. so much for joining us tonight on the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And thanks, thank you for, so thanks for hanging <laughs> in there so late. So thank you, guys. For sure. OEC Brewing. All right. Cool. What do you want to do, Jay? Take a break and then come back and do a little uh, wrap-up wrap-up? We are contractually obligated to do so. Indeed we are. So let's do that next on the Sour Hour. That podcast again my poker show yeah showdown yeah if you like that was poker, on the other show it was said that, so. yep if you like poker i got a poker show it's called showdown make some money yep speaking of making money you know who's money at making beer the you, Shamini creek oh shit oh no not me the chamonix the chamonix i'm yeah, gonna I stop screwing it up i, I screwed that on. one that that's on me they excuse, excuse me okay we're on the air over here Pipe down. Dianica. Dianica. <laughs> <laughs> They've been on the Philly beer scene, beer map, since 2012. Three-time Philly beer scene. See, yeah, that's what screwed me up. <laughs> Three-time Philly beer scene magazine brewery of the year. Two-time GABF Vienna-style lager medal winner. Large expanded recently renovated tap room with 24 beers on tap. Ta- ta- wow. <laughs> you spent too much time in Nashville, huh? <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> 18 of which are rotating in seasonal limited beers, hoppy double IPA, sessionable, poundable lagers, oak fermented saisons and sour beers, free brewery tours on Saturdays, and a new second location opening probably already, but this spring, check it out for yourself, NeshaminiCreekBrewing.com. I have to say, too, since they've been uh, sponsoring the shows, sponsoring the, the Brewing Network, I have seen uh, more people like posting pictures and stuff like, hey, I was at Chamonix Creek and I had there this and I had this cheeseburger, that from the food truck, and I had this beer and that beer. Yeah. I, it looks really cool. Tagging BN, awesome. tagging the yeah. BN on the social media and stuff. Yeah, it's really cool. That's and that that makes a difference, you know. Show them, show them the Brewing Network love. Show them, you know, tell them they did a great job in the session because they did. Yeah. Um, thank them for sponsoring the Sour Hour. They we really appreciate it. Indeed. We also really appreciate our great sponsor, Oregon Fruit Products. Their aseptic purees are easy to use and convenient to store. No additives or artificial flavors. It's simply great expression of the raw fruit, like the new one, Pink Guava, that we've been using. They love Ooh. working with brewers and help us innovate. Check them out at fruitforbrewing.com. Oregon Fruit, they bring fruit to life. Okay, so a couple of things I wanted to touch on, and then we'll just uh, get into some questions and call it a night. 
Yeah, let's do it. So, yeah, we got a lot of wrap-up because it's been, I mean, we've done a little bit of it on the last couple shows, but it's been months since we were in the studio. Craft Brewers Conference, don't have a lot on that. It was just, it was a good time in D.C., catching up with a lot of people, going to the conferences, going, we, we had, like, not a lot, and there was not really, like, there's a, a talk on Pretendomyces that was good, a, a nice agriculture talk. Um, there's no sour beer talk this year, actually, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, so I'm hoping that we can... Get a little more attention on sour beer next year. Um, next year is in Nashville, so right. which I'll be well versed in. If anyone wants hot chicken recommendations, <laughs> I'm your man because I've been in Nashville twice in the last three months. Part one was uh, going out there for our uh, Embrace the Funk Rare Barrel collaboration, which we've been talking about on the show for the past I don't know six months or so. Our crowdsourced collab, and then the really exciting part was I was just out there this past weekend. And so that beer is about two months old now and tasted it. Tastes really good. Sweet. It's going to be great. Um, so I think next steps in that are that uh, I, I did not take tasting notes because it was, at, it was after the Funk Fest, uh, the Embrace the Funk Funk Fest, which is great. Uh, a lot of great breweries out there, really good time. But it was after like 12 beers so uh, and some bourbon, sure. to be honest. Uh, yeah. uh, so no tasting notes on that yet, but it was really good. Uh, I think what we'll do is have Brandon, you know, kind of report back on how it's been tasting, and then we'll kind of float out some beginning of some surveys on what to do next on that, on the secondary ingredients or what to do next with that beer. But really good base, so I'm glad that that's all working out because who knows how that could have worked out, you know, had that many people involved, that many hands touching the beer. And it's been really cool to see that come to fruition, not only on the brewing side, but also now to see the finished product come out. But it's been a blast going out to Nashville. What a great, great city. I really enjoyed Nashville, too. Yeah, it's it's an awesome place, really friendly people. I love bourbon and chicken, so I'm yeah. all about that, too. There's live music everywhere. Yep. Everywhere, which is awesome. Lots of new restaurants, new construction going up everywhere, a lot of new breweries. Yazoo Brewing Company, you know, very hospitable. Brandon's Barrel Cellar is awesome. So I just want to thank Yazoo and Embrace the Funk for all their hospitality and their hosting. Um, if you can, you know, get in the Citizens of Funk Club, there's only a few, there's like no spots basically, but if you can get out to Funk Fest or anything like that, get out to Nashville and try their beers, that's, I, I highly recommend it. And if you can be there for Craft Brewers Conference next year, which I believe is in late April to early May of uh, 2018, it's going to be awesome. I'll be out there again. I'm really looking forward to getting back out there. And presumably we'll have our beer uh, ready and you know yes. being served around town for that. for that. So really cool there. Yeah, I think that's that's all, that's all I got on that. Went to Miami, too. That was pretty cool. In between all this, just for just for vacation. That was pretty nice. And once again, I couldn't go, so Molly went in, in my place. Yep, 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 yep. And I, I packed enough sunscreen for the both of us, you and I, Scott, so <laughs> so I was good. No sun burns on me. Do, do you guys stay away from the brewery thing, just kind of do a little uh, non A little bit. We went, there's a few bars by where we were that had some craft beer, but, yeah, pretty much. It was like, I mean, it was in between Crappers Conference and then going to uh, the Brazil Homebrew Conference. So, yeah, it was a lot of uh, rum. A lot of mixed drinks, yep. tequila, but Miami's a really cool spot. It's the it's probably like the most diverse city I've ever been to, and that's living in the Bay Area, right? Like I I live in Oakland, which is a really diverse city, but I mean, so many people from so many different countries, and then even the people visiting, like there's so many people from different European countries visiting that it's like mm-hmm. such an eclectic city, yep. and the weather was 
really nice and you know beaches and it's fun i'm not like the stay all night stay out all night salsa dance and tan on the beach all the next day kind of guy but like <laughs> it's a still nice stay out all night and swing dance kind i was of guy, right i was the eat the cuban food all day and then drink cocktails yeah, all night kind sure, of guy. sure. So i'm i'm it's definitely a great city you got so. like the cuba vera shirt do you, you got a little miami get up no no miami get up just you know smoke some cigars no cigars what no, no. but you know had cubanas I mean, I told you, it's not the typical experience, but it was my Miami, you know, it's my Miami trip. Good. I'm glad you got some vacation time in. It was nice. It was super nice. Amidst but all this travel and beer drinking, it's very important to take some time off to yeah. travel and drink beer. Right. <laughs> it's nice to slow down every once in a while. But happy to see you. How's, there, how's everything looking in Fort Collins? It's good, dude. Yeah, we got drywall going up right now here as of, uh, you know, May um, mm-hmm. We're hoping for like a July 4th opening, you know, with this contract. No promises. Hashtag no promises. Exactly. You never know with uh, construction. But I have to say the contractor that's that's building it out there is just kicking ass. They've been like two weeks ahead of schedule basically since they started, and they just are chugging along at, at, a, at a great clip. Every time I go there, there are four different trades all working at the same time, which is in stark contrast to Concord, where I would show up and there'd be like nobody here. And I'd be like, what? We're, and I'd be like calling people and chasing mm-hmm. people down and this place got built and it's fine but it really is just like a different universe working with this contractor that we're working with out there they're just killing it and man like we were saying earlier fort collins is just fan- what just a wonderful a town city. the more time i spend there the better it is i went to two colorado eagles games they got a minor <laughs> an echl hockey team out there yeah mm-hmm. go eagles and uh they it was it's like a four thousand seat arena or something i won't say what the name of the arena is but Oh, <laughs> but uh, but it's just a great venue. I had a lot of fun uh, watching hockey out there. We visited Cheyenne, Wyoming, which is just right up the road. We no, visited- it's got to be far. It, I know it seems like it is another state, but really it was like a 40-minute drive. It is another barely. state. It is another state. Not like another state. It is another state. Visited a couple cool breweries there. What were they, Danica? Freedom's Edge Brewing we went to up there. Uh, Rock Cut. Oh, that was Estes Park. We went to Rock Cut Brewing oh, in Estes yeah. Park. Mm-hmm. A couple of – I got a – I just continue to be impressed by the by the quality of craft beer in general across the board, no matter where you go, even if it's a tiny five-barrel system in Nowheresville, Wyoming, that you never heard of, still just solid beers across the board. So I was I've, impressive craft beer scene everywhere you go. Fort Collins obviously speaks mm-hmm. for itself. And, uh, yeah, man, the more time I spend out there um, adjacent, Rockies adjacent, the more I like it. It's beautiful. A lot of yeah. outdoor stuff to do, and it's just a nice break. From from the bay, this is yep. a great place to live for sure. But that's that's an awesome spot too. Variety, spice you, of life. You're just reminding me that you know, through going to the DC to Nashville, even down to Brazil, I still continue to just feel a little overwhelmed by the response to the show. I know we've been doing this a while now, but the number of people who come up and you know have good things to say about the show is is really incredible. It really is, and I, I just have to continue to be thankful for all all the people who are listening out there. It really means a lot, and it just I don't know. It like it, there's plenty of stuff going on for both uh, both of us. Obviously, you yep. know, we're running uh, running some businesses, and there's plenty of travel. And but I always look forward to this because I think about all those times of meeting people out on the road and just how genuinely thankful people are and it, it just means a lot so thank you guys so much for your support it's just it's just been really important to to us along the way 100 so thank you yep i echo that completely we are nothing without you guys so thanks for the support cool time for question or 
what, what's uh, up? No, we're way over time, man. Way over time? Let's just call it a day. All right, well, yeah. thank you, guys. Let's wrap it up. Thanks to OEC Brewing. Thanks, guys. That Great was really beers. cool. Wow. Really interesting stuff. Yeah. Could have gone another show for sure. Definitely. And they had to stay up late because they're on East Coast time. So thank you for that, too. Thanks to the listeners for all the questions. Of course, thanks to all of our great sponsors. Let them know you're thankful, too. Let them know you're thankful they're sponsoring the Sour Hour. Until next time, stay sour. Stay sour.